0: Welcome back to Dumber Than a Sack of Hair. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. This is Dumber Than a Sack of Hair. This is the comedy version of Psych Your Crime, my true crime podcast. This week, we are going to look into Karens. Are they born that way or are they made? Is it nature or is it nurture? I decided that I wanted to look into Karens as they have gone wild over the past two weeks, they're popping up everywhere. Um, If you've been living under a rock, then you may not have seen. Um, The Karens have just been losing it. A woman who is actually a attorney, um, she approached a 17 year old protester, a Black Lives Matter protester and spit in her face, Well, just this last week, it was announced that she's going to be charged not only with aggravated assault. The woman was uh, 53 years old. She was an attorney. Uh, She was white. Uh, The girl 17 was black. Um, She is not only going to be charged with assault. She's actually going to be charged with a hate crime as well. Um, Also, the next day, then when the video of her spitting on the girl's face went viral, People figured out who she was, the fact that she was an attorney. And as an attorney, she knows better. She knows spitting in the face of a 17-year-old girl in the middle of a pandemic is is assault. It wouldn't have been aggravated assault. It may have just been a misdemeanor. It would have been simple assault. But in the middle of a pandemic, it's aggravated assault. You can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt you don't have COVID-19. So people went by her house um, and what happened was She pushed another teenager at this point. She gets hit with another assault charge. So, I mean, obviously, like I said, she's a lawyer. She knew what she was doing was wrong. We then had another incident. This one went insanely viral. Um, So a woman went into a gas station. Apparently the card reader on the gas pump did not work. She wanted her card to be rung up immediately for the gas pump. But someone was at the counter being rung up. The woman intervenes and she says, do not cash her out. She's not legal. The woman's like, I'm sorry, what? And she says, well, where are you from? Where were you even born? The lady at the counter who's being rung up says, I was born here. I'm Native American. And the woman just keeps saying, don't ring her up. She's not legal. She's not one of us. And the woman's like, I'm born here. Where are you from? Where are your ancestors from? Where are your people from that you're telling me I'm not from here? And so now the woman from the gas pump has gotten closer to the woman who was trying to be wrung out. That woman's is, transaction is complete now. She has gotten closer. And she now she's like, I don't need to tell you where I'm from. Why does it matter where I'm from? She now grabs the woman by the arm and brings her face right next to her ear and tells this woman who has already told her she's Native American. She's already told her she was born in America. She brings her face right next to this woman's ear and tells her, I'm going to send you back to Mexico. So the woman has the knee jerk response that I believe I probably would have which is to slap her. She's grabbed her. She just, you know, told her literally to her face because she put her face next to her face and said, I'm sending you back to Mexico. So the woman slapped her. And this Karen was so shocked. Like she went, "Ah!" like, uh, like audibly, like she was just shocked. Like she was like, "Ah!" and just, and like, just, Like her jaw was like unhinged, like it was like down to like her breast. And like she was just clut if she had pearls, she would be clutching them. She was clutching her chest and she like walked out and she was just like, like she could not believe that the lady laid hands on her. But what did you think was gonna happen, Karen? You walked up to someone, you snatched them by the arm, and then you told someone who has told you more than once that they were born in the United States, they told you they were Native American to boot, and then you told them you were going to deport them to Mexico after you snatched them up by the shoulder. Like, I don't know how she didn't think she was going to get slapped, but just seeing the, like, shock, that like, the... Like, it... it It was wonderful. But at the same time, no, don't don't hit people, folks. It's not great. But still, like it it was pretty glorious. But still. (laughs) So the Karens have been out in force. We also had the Trader Joe's Karen who did not want to. That's a huge thing as things are opening up here in the United States. People do not want to wear masks. Uh, The Trader Joe's Karen went into Trader Joe's was not wearing a mask when they were. she was told they would not serve her. She lost her shit and started throwing things everywhere. And they're like, that's great, but I'm still not going to help you. And so she left having destroyed Trader Joe's. I don't know why they think that throwing things, causing a scene is going to get them help any faster. But uh, yeah, then there was another one who pulled up to the Burger King Burger King was on fire it was literally burning and Karen pulled up to the drive through of the burning of the burning Burger King Burger King that is burning to the ground <laughs> and she wants a refund and all of the employees mind you have vacated the premises they're waiting for the the fire department to show up And she gets out of the car. She's in, mind you, she's pulled into the drive-thru. She's getting out of her car, to scream at the employees for not being inside the burning building to give her her refund. And they're like, the building is on fire. You see the building is on fire. We can't give you a refund. And she proceeds to berate them and tell them that The fact that they won't go back into a burning building to give her a refund is why they will all only work minimum wage jobs. Like The fact that they refuse to go back into a building to give her a refund is why I absolutely believe that they will all go on to work so much more than minimum wage jobs. Only the person who's willing to go back into a burning building to give a Karen her refund is a person who will never go beyond minimum wage. That is a sheep who will always do only what they're told. So the fact that none of them was willing to die for her refund tells me they will all go on to work beyond minimum wage jobs. I am absolutely positive in that. Just like she could not comprehend the fact that she got out of her job to prove the point and belittle and berate them. Is just sad and and at eight dollars, maybe 10 tops. Like the fact that you wanted them to like give up their life for your time, I would have reached in my pocket and been like, I'm broke, I make minimum wage, I probably can't afford my rent. But yo, here is your ten dollars, that is not worth my life. Hope you're happy, Karen. Keep it moving. You're blocking the fire truck's path, like, not worth it. <laughs> Calm down. (laughs) So, yes, the Karen's were out in force. There was, however, one video that was really disturbing. I want to talk about it because it was a Karen setup. And not okay with it because this is what if it was on an Am I the Asshole Reddit, it would be an Everybody Sucks here. Because what happened was it was a road rage incident. Um, the man in the video is claiming that the woman flipped him off and called him the N-word which if that's the case it's not appropriate however he does admit in the video that he followed her for three blocks to her home that's not appropriate I don't care what she did I don't care if it's a man if it's a woman don't follow them you at the end of the day she wasn't she wasn't a threat but how do you know that at her home she doesn't have a gun Everybody is so hellbent on confronting these people and their racism and their behavior, but you are following her to get her racist behavior on camera. How do you know at her home, she doesn't have a gun? How do you know that her husband isn't worse than her? Is not more problematic than her? You don't, you don't know what situation you're going into. So following someone because they flipped you off or called you a name, one, that's road rage behavior. Whenever you follow someone because of an incident that happens on the road, that's road rage. When you follow them, you become the aggressor. So his following her was 100% wrong, not appropriate, and that makes him the aggressor at that point. Once he began to follow her, that made him the aggressor. He followed her to her home. That makes him the aggressor. Whether he wants to acknowledge it or not, whether he's saying it, it's in, in behalf of, of social justice or whatever, it's not appropriate. Like I'm, as a woman alone, this has happened to me where I've had a road rage incident where someone followed me because they thought that I was a car that cut them off at a light. And they followed me into the parking lot of a store at night and then proceeded to follow me through the store because they thought I cut them off at a light. And I was alone. So this is scary. So. It doesn't matter what you believe she did. It's not okay to follow a woman alone to her home. But he then proceeds to record her and she's crying. And it's very obvious when she gets out the car, she's putting on a show. She's crying and she's saying like she's scared. And she's saying, you know, that she didn't deserve this. But like I said, on one account, I do agree. She didn't deserve to be followed home. Your woman alone. Being followed is scary. It doesn't matter why they're following you. She may have cut him off. We don't know. It, when you're followed home, you're terrified. And I'm not saying that because he's black or because he's not black. I'm saying the problematic behavior on his part was following a woman to her house. But she obviously puts a show on for the camera. So everybody sucks here. She puts on a show. She breaks down. She immediately, one of the first things out of her mouth is, Why are you doing this to me? My husband is black. So, she's obviously putting on a show for the camera. She's trying to cover her license plate. She's trying to cover her face. She's obviously trying not to get called out for her behavior. But, like I said, everybody sucks here. He never should have followed her home. You don't follow people home, you become the aggressor once you do that. So, when a deep dive was done into his social media, you find that this is what he does now. This is what he does for. For social media content is trying to quote-unquote trigger karens and trying to catch them on camera so yes when people are problematic do we want to call them out on their behavior but we don't want to purposefully try and set people off and catch them like that's never what we want to do so obviously things like like i said following someone home in a road rage incident that's never going to be acceptable or okay um it's completely different thing if unprovoked someone starts using problematic language or behaving in a problematic manner or threatening to call the police on you for for absolutely nothing just existing being in a space that's different but like i said we can't follow people home we can't you know uh show up at people's places of business unprovoked um we don't know like When you're walking in blind to a situation to confront someone, you don't know. It's the same thing as when you see on the internet that someone has had problematic behavior and they they dox them and they out their place of business, they out their home. You don't know what happens at their home or their place of business. So when you see that someone has had problematic behavior, don't go to their home or place of business to confront them. You don't know. You just don't know what you could be walking into. And you also don't know for sure that any of those behaviors have been confirmed or how much worse it could be. So please, whenever something like this happens and someone gets doxed, don't go to their home. Don't go to their place of business. And another part of that is the problematic individual is the person who's problematic. When someone gets doxxed, it's not fair to their family members though they may have kids they have a significant other their significant other and their kids were not the one who was problematic so showing up at their home um and harassing them at home that's not fair to their wife or their children um showing up at their place of business and harassing their the, the business itself like yes you you don't want a business to have employees that may be racist but it's not fair to the business necessarily to show up and disrupt business because one of their employees has problematic views contact the business talk to the business about it but don't disrupt business and the flow of business itself that's not fair to the business itself they may not be aware that the employee has problematic views so be mindful about how you go about these things because you don't want to hurt especially like i said if they have children You don't want to hurt the children. You don't want to do things that are going to affect them. And never, I never, 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 never advocate doxing. Doxing is wrong. Um, There's certain information that gets out in doxing that can affect, like I said, it can affect their credit. It can affect having their identity stolen. Like I said, if they have children, you put that information out there, you could be putting their children's uh, safety at risk. You can be putting their significant other safety at risk. People have been doxxed and they've ended up having their partners sexually assaulted. They've been, you know, had, you know, people, you know, approach their children. It's not acceptable. It's okay to address problematic behavior. It's not okay to harass the family members and children and loved ones of those individuals. So address it, but don't, you know, put the loved ones and family members and friends at risk in doing so. I just want to put that out there. Um so today we're gonna to talk about Karen's we're gonna talk about two sides of the Karen spectrum. So there's Karen's that just seem to be awful, miserable people, and then there are Karen's who are made into Karens? They've been through things in life that kind of broke them down and made them into the way that they are. So one side of the spectrum, we have a Karen that pretty much everybody knows. She kind of uh, may have started off this kind of uh, of calling the police on on people for existing while being black, but a lot of people don't know the full story behind that full call, that phone call because the media didn't really. Um, tell the whole story. And that's Barbecue Becky. So Barbecue Becky was a woman who called the police on a family in Chicago, Park and Lakeside Drive, because they were barbecuing with um, the, but for using charcoal. So for those of you who are not aware, and many public parks, especially parks in the city, uh, metropolitan cities in the United States, it is illegal to use charcoal in those parks because charcoal has to kind of die out. It's difficult to put out. And if left to smolder, it can start fires. So she noticed that this black family was barbecuing and they were using charcoal. So she called 911. That was the story that went out. Barbecue Becky called the police on this black family for using charcoal in the park. And then there's a pictures of her crying on her phone and her walking away from them videoing her while she's in tears and she's yelling she doesn't want to be videoed. That was actually not the whole story. The truth was that when the police actually showed up, that was two hours after her initial call. So they released the 911 call, but the 911 call that was released was actually her second call. Becky called the police back two hours later when the family was trying to go home. See, the police didn't respond to her call. They wrote it off as a nuisance call, which it was. And when the family decided to go on with their life, finish their barbecue and go home, Becky was not having that. So she called the police again, tried to find out where they were. And when she found out that anyone, no one was really around near coming, being dispatched, she did something she shouldn't have. So in the 911 call, you hear Becky talking to the dispatcher and then you hear her saying, oh, they're mad at me. And then you hear someone yelling at her in the background. So Becky is running and then you hear her kind of running and they're like what are you running and she's like yes they and they they're like are they yelling at you wait did they just did you take something cuz you hear someone in the background go give me back my phone and she's the dispatcher goes did you take something from them and she goes well yes I took their phone so that they wouldn't be able to leave before you got here. And now they're mad at me. So I'm going to go hide in this um, bodega. And then she gives them the location of the bodega (coughs) until you arrive. And she's like crying like she could hear she's about to burst into tears because they're mad and they're chasing her. Of course, they're chasing you. You stole from them. They were living their best life, minding their business, didn't even know what was going on till the crazy white lady came and stole their phone. So they have actually told her multiple times to give them back their belongings and she's not paying attention. She's not listening to it. Now she's scared for her life. She thinks she's going to die because she stole from the black folks. So now they dispatch a police unit. So think about this, okay? What kind of maliciousness must you have in your heart to stalk a family for two hours, give up your whole sunny Sunday afternoon to ensure that they deal with the police over some charcoal, you are so intent. You gave up your Sunday. Look, okay. I believe people deserve to be held accountable for their actions. Absolutely. However, I am not giving my day off up for pretty much nothing. Like you commit a murder, a sexual assault, Social justice, I will fight with my last breath. However, I'm not giving up my Sunday afternoon over some charcoal. It's not happening. So the Chicago PD wrote this off as a nuisance call. So let me put you put that into perspective with the way other police departments look at this, look at police calls. So I lived in, I live in Southeastern Massachusetts. I used to live, I lived in Boston when I first moved to Massachusetts. I lived there for five months. I lived in Southeast. I have very good friends that moved to Jamaica Plain. Um, They used a program to buy a house that had been foreclosed on. um, And they spent $10,000 altogether. So they thought, oh, I got this great deal. I got my first house. I only paid $10,000. But Jamaica Plain, for those of you who do not know Boston, which probably most of my listeners, Jamaica Plain is split by the Jamaica Parkway. One side of the Jamaica Parkway is mansions. One part, for all intents and purposes, is a ghetto. And they're on the side that is not mansions. So one fine day, maybe about three months after living there, they look out their window and someone is stripping a car. They call the police. Boston, one of the finest police departments in the United States. And when did the police come? Three days later, after the car has been stripped to the frame. Now, if that is how the Boston Police Department responds to Grand Theft Auto, how did this woman think the Chicago PD was going to respond to a call about charcoal in the park when she's calling in a town that has become known as Chirac on the weekend when the city's crime rate skyrockets. They're not coming, okay? Was never going to happen. How she thought it was going to happen, I don't know, but it was never going to happen, okay? So, no. So, the police are now found this woman in the bodega. And the first question is, where is the cell phone? <laughs> like, just give me what you stole, okay? And so they grab her, they drag her back to the park. They give the cell phone back to this lovely family that's had way more patience than I ever would. Um, so when you see on the film, the reason she's crying, the reason she doesn't want to be filmed is because she has just had a new asshole ripped. They just ripped her a new asshole. The police did for stealing from the black family for wasting everybody's time with this bullshit of charcoal in the park. That's why she's so upset. So um, she's been admonished by the police. She got in trouble. She was sent on her way. That's why she was crying. So that's the truth of Barbecue Becky. She wasted the police department's time. They never intended of coming out and responding to her call. The only reason that they responded to her call is because she stole from the family that she called the police on. So is this going to be a new thing? Is white people going to call the police? And then when nobody shows up, are are they going to go break a window out of a jewelry store and then... When the cops show up, are they gonna be like, okay, I know what this looks like. Yes, I broke the window out of Tiffany's, but you see this bitch over here, this big headed bitch over here with the faux locks. I don't like that bitch. And I called you and nobody came, so I was forced to break the window out of Tiffany's. Now you can deal with the faux lock, girl. Is that what we're doing now? We're just gonna call the police, and when nobody does what we want about the black folks, we're gonna start breaking laws? In order to get you to come and to, <laughs> because that's not gonna work, <laughs> eventually you're gonna have some big bills and you're gonna have to like reimburse your local police department for thousands of dollars because it does not work like that, folks. I'm sorry to break it to you, but you really have to be a miserable person to have come to commit to be like, giving up my Sunday. I know it's nice out, but screw it. I have got to see these people serve justice for the charcoal. Like that needs to be a hashtag. Can we get that going? Justice for the charcoal. Because (laughs) you really have to be miserable and have no life. So I believe she was born a Karen. Because you have to be born miserable to be like that. So she is on the nature side of Karen's. Now we're going to go into nurture. Now some of you may have seen this. There is a mini series on Betty Broderick. Betty Broderick is probably the first idea many people had of a Karen. Betty Broderick was a woman who people began to know her in the, in the 90s because she the first thing that happened was she was going through a divorce and she drove her car into the front door of her husband's home during a drop off of her kids. So what you need to understand when we first, we need to talk about Betty's background. Betty grew up in a very, very strict Catholic home. Her father dictated pretty much everything about her life. It was a struggle for her to even be allowed to go to college. She didn't want to send her to school. Um, Everything was dictated to her. She didn't really have a lot of agency or say in many of her decision making uh, growing up. So just her being able to go to college was a struggle and a fight for her. When she went to college, she met Dan, who ended up being her husband. Um, Even that didn't quite go entirely as planned. They got married. She got, the intention was for her to finish college, but she got pregnant. So she had to quit school so she could have their first child. She was pregnant almost immediately afterwards. The pregnancies were very difficult. They were very rough on her. Um, she ended up bedridden almost the whole time and she got pregnant almost immediately again after their second child. Um, and she told him, I don't want to have another baby. I, I just can't do this. These pregnancies are difficult on my body. They're hard on me. I I don't think I can do this. And Dan told her, you're not having an abortion. You're having the baby. And she said, I don't know if I can Like she was trying to tell him that she didn't think her body could handle the baby. And she ended up miscarrying. Which was very traumatic and difficult for her to handle. And at which point she wanted to go back to school. She wanted to try for a career of her own. So she tells Dan, once again, I can't have any more children. These pregnancies are too difficult for me. They're too hard on my body. I don't know that I can do this. Dan tells her, you can't go on birth control. And I don't like condoms. Basically just kind of like, well, whatever happens happens. Like it is what it is. And she gets pregnant again. She proceeds to spend basically the next 10 to 15 years pregnant in some way, shape or form. So while this is all going on, mind you, Dan is in law school. He, just as he finishes our dance in medical school and just as he finishes medical school he changes his mind like he she has spent all this time helping him through medical school you know holding it down making sure they get there and then just as she's like oh great sweet he's finished medical school now I can go and get a residency and we can have some money stop living in this crappy apartment and he's like you know what I'm not feeling this she's like I'm sorry fucking huh what do you mean you're not feeling this? And so he's like, I'm going to be a lawyer now. And she's like, I'm, hum." Now he's going to law school and they're still broke. So still pregnant, still broke. She's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I love my husband. I'm going to power through this. We're going to get him through law school and then he'll get a great job. It'll be fine. They get him through, graduates law school. He gets a job at this great law firm. They're able to purchase their first home. Okay. She's like, okay, this was worth it. We got this. This We got this. We got it. Okay. So now they've purchased their first home. He has his first real job as a lawyer. He, they're in a firm, a top-notch firm. She's like, everything's going to be fine. You know, Everything is, is going the way that it's supposed to, you know, she thinks things are looking up, you know, we finally have, you know, everything that we're supposed to, I have all of my kids, all of that is out of the way. I'm done having my children. We're moved into our apartment and they have a period where everything seems to be going fine. and. Everything is seeming to be good. And then out of nowhere, he decides he wants a divorce. Like the kids are teenagers, you know, they've, they've hit a lull, everything. She thinks her life is perfect. And he decides to file for divorce. And she's just mind blown. Like as far as she's known, this is her soulmate. This is the man she's supposed to spend her life with. Their life is perfect. They have everything the way it's supposed to be. They have the perfect house. They have another house in another town. You know, everything's the way it's supposed to be. The beach house, the main house, everything's great. And he wants a divorce. And she doesn't know. She She's known only what she's been told to do. You know, every, whatever Dan lets her do, you know, whatever her parents let her do, this is what she's been told. And now she's being told they're getting a divorce. She's at a loss. But Dan says, it's fine. I'll take care of it. Here's a lawyer. I'll pay for your lawyer. Everything is going to be perfectly fine. So then it's time to get the divorce. And the lawyer keeps coming to her and going, I haven't had my retainer paid. Where's my retainer? Where's my retainer? And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. Dan's going to pay for it. Dan's going to pay for it. Well, Dan doesn't pay for it. So... Dan never pays for the retainer, and the lawyer has no choice but to drop her. And now she's uh, without a lawyer. And without a lawyer, she's screwed. She has no idea um, what is going on in her case. And so, what happens is she's getting uh, notices sent to her lawyer and a lawyer finally files a notice saying he's not her lawyer that he has resigned so she's just going through the yellow pages trying to find a lawyer no one will take her because her husband is so well known in the legal community they don't want to touch it and so she can't find a lawyer no one is helping her no one is there and someone is charlie o is asking me who is Betty broderick Betty broderick is a woman who murdered her husband She's the OG of all parents. So now Betty has no lawyer. She can't get anyone to represent her because they're scared of her husband. Now her lawyer has finally put in the official notice saying he that she is not he's not representing her. And so the all of the notices are going to Betty and Betty is in such denial about her divorce and the fact that Dan wants to um, actually leave her that she's ignoring them. So she's getting notices about court dates and things that she needs to do and stuff that she needs to uh, put information in and she's just not doing anything. And so Dan has put in a motion to have all of their um, property separated because he wants to sell their house as quickly as possible so that he can get the funds from the sale. Because if he can just get the funds from the sale Then he doesn't have, he can split the funds from the sale. It's cheaper from him. If he can sell their initial house and just separate the funds from the sale as quickly as possible. So he's put in a motion so that he can separate all their property, sell the house as quickly as possible without making a determination on child support, because that's cheaper for him. And so she's not aware of this. And the next thing she knows, the house is sold. And she's just getting half of the portion of the house where she actually wanted the house. So if they had actually done it properly and and she had had a real lawyer, she could have filed for it as a marital asset and it could have been part of her support. But because she didn't have a proper lawyer, she didn't do that because she's also still in denial, hoping they'll get back together. She's not doing the proper things. So now she also has a motion. She needs to go and she needs to try and file to stop them from having all the assets liquefied. And she doesn't go because she's not answering anything. And she has friends around her that are saying, just show up. You're saying that you don't believe it's true. You don't think he'll go behind your back. You don't think that he'll do this without a lawyer. And of course he will. He did this all on purpose. So. So that's the first thing he does. He shows up, she doesn't because he she doesn't think he'll screw her over. Of course he's screwing her over. That's the whole point. That's why he promised to pay for her lawyer and didn't pay him because he knew the lawyer would quit and she'd be left without a lawyer. So she loses by default. All of the property is sold off and caught 50-50 so she can't claim anything as part of her alimony. So now she's left like screwed a lot of things are kept he gets to keep a lot of things outright because had she been there she could have actually said you know she could have objected but because she wasn't there she didn't see it he claimed a lot of things and was able to keep things for himself that either should have gone to her outright or should have been split with her so she lost out on a lot of marital marital property that she had outright rights to because of this so then It comes time, he kept putting off spousal support for a reason. So once the sale of the house went through, she lost it. That was when she lost it. She absolutely thought she was gonna keep the house. She felt, I get a house, you get a house, it's fair. you know. They have two houses, everybody gets a house, it's fair, right? Wrong. The house is sold, she's distraught, she loses it. That's when she drove her car through the front door of his house. Now, remember, He went to medical school. So when the cops showed up, he told them he was a doctor. They didn't question it. They didn't ask to see his license. They didn't ask where he had, you know, admitting uh, privileges, nothing. He just said, she, I'm a doctor. She's mentally ill. Admit her. That never should have happened ever. So she was admitted on a 72 hour cycle. They held her. So obviously after that, her kids are like, you know, starting to grow distant from her. They're starting to get scared of her. In that 72 hours, he told them all kinds of stuff. You know, they're really scared of her. And honestly, you know, you drove your car to their dad's front door. And she's framing it like, you know, it's because I'm a divorced woman and everybody has it out for women. To some extent, and this is a little different, she was gaslit. Her husband gaslit her. She was naive. Like I said, she was raised in an environment where she had no agency or say in her decisions. So, of course, she's going to believe Dan when he says, I'll take care of your side of the divorce. It's fine. Don't worry about it. She had no reason to believe that Dan was going to screw her over, but he was. He was screwing her over the whole time. So, what happens is he's delaying her alimony as long as possible because he is seeing someone else and the longer he can delay the alimony determination, the longer it can look like, okay, I wanted to wait until both of us move on and are in a better place, but she never moves on. She's constantly stuck where she believes that they're going to be back together. She can't get past that. She always thinks they're going to be a couple. She always thinks he's in love with her because like I said, she's never had anything but him telling her what to do in her life. It was her dad. And then it was Dan and Dan has controlled everything. Like she couldn't even go on birth control. Even when she's telling him these pregnancies are taking a toll on my body. Even when she told him, she knew that the pregnancy wasn't going to work. And she ended up miscarrying. He still wouldn't listen to her. So then he's seeing someone else. He divorces her. He's seeing another person. He's trying to delay the determination for the alimony so he can pay as little as possible. Finally, it gets determined and she's not making that much. And she's been accustomed to this really grand lifestyle. And now she doesn't know what to do. She has to live in this tiny condo. She's accustomed to living this grand lifestyle. She has to scale back and she doesn't know what to do. And then the next thing she hears, he has not only a girlfriend, but he's getting remarried. So her knee jerk reaction is it's all this woman's fault. This woman took my family. This woman took my kids. My kids hate me. Dan did this to me. Dan destroyed me. Like that's all she can think of. That's all she can fixate on. And she is thinking, if I go to Dan's house and talk to him, maybe I can get him to give me some more alimony. Maybe we can work something out. But she goes in the middle of the night. Obviously, no one is going to be awake. And the way that she retells it is she just walked in and she saw the two of them sleeping in what should be her bed, happy, oblivious to the fact that she even exists. So she shot them and left. And she called her best friend and said, I I, I shot them. I wanted to talk to him, but I shot them. She admitted, she called like two or three people and admitted that she shot him. And they ended up calling the police and the police arrested her. And she immediately admitted to the police that she shot him. She never denied it her affect was flat. Um, She always said she she didn't intend to, um, but she just had no affect when she talked about it. Um, You could tell she was completely broken, um, that she just, and when she talked about it, she said, I don't have anything. He took my children from me, my children hate me. I don't know how to do anything. I can't run a household anymore. I I can't get a job. You know, she has no life skills at this point. You know, she felt worthless and she just figured, screw it. You know, my kids hate me. I have no skills. I can't run a household. I don't have enough money to barely be able to run an apartment or, you know, do anything. What's the point? Whatever. Like that should be me. It's not now. Fuck it. Like and you just tell like she had completely given up on life, like completely. And like at least when she drove, and this sounds really messed up, but at least when she drove her car into the front of his house, she still had that Karen type of fight where I want to see your manager. I'm going to fight with you about every like Her fight was gone at that point. Like shooting her husband and his his new wife, that was like, that's the snap. That's like the Karen snapped and that's it. And that was it. Like, all the Karen was gone from her. Like, she was done. She couldn't fight anymore. And it's sad to see how society can break a person. Like, you can make a Karen. You can give her everything. She can be entitled. She can feel she's, she felt she was entitled to this man. And then when reality set in and she realized she wasn't going to get him, she wasn't going to get the life it was given to her. It's been taken away from her and nothing is gonna give it back to her. She just said, fuck it, I'm not getting it back. I'm gonna make sure no one else has it. And that was it. I genuinely believe Betty Roderick was a woman who was made into a Karen. All agency was stripped from her in every aspect of her life. When she was a girl growing up by her father, by Dan Broderick, her husband at every aspect, she couldn't even choose whether she had, could, wanted to have children when even when she said she couldn't handle the pregnancy she was forced to continue to keep having kids um she wasn't allowed to continue an education when she wanted a career she wasn't allowed to get a job like she was beat down and all choices were taken from her and she was told this is it this is your life this is what you get and then that was taken from her and she was just done like you were she said this is what i was told is my life and then you took that from me and gave me nothing and tricked me when I was given a chance to get something, some form of payment for that. And yeah, so I do feel this is a woman who was made into a Karen. I don't think that justifies her murdering her husband and his new wife, but she was driven to the extremes. Um, This very much is, is what a lot of people don't understand. This is what the 80s were very much like. Eight, the seventies and eighties, um, you did not have a lot of agency, um, in your marriage. Uh, if, uh, so it was difficult, changed a lot over the late eighties, nineties, um, men were growing and changing and trying more to be partners instead of dictators. But this was a very common thing in the eighties. That's why in the 80s, also, um, in the 80s is when people were starting to understand about postpartum depression. Um, that's why in the 80s, there was a surge in female family annihilators. You had uh, people like Susan Smith and Andrea Yates, because they suffered from severe postpartum depression. They were not allowed to take birth control, they were forced to have several children, and they couldn't deal, they were overwhelmed. So that's why in the 80s and the 90s, there was a surge of a lot of women uh, committing uh, crimes within their family and familial units. So that was a case of two very different Karens, nurture versus nature situation with the Karens. Next week, if you join us on Psych Your Crime, we're going to be looking into the case of the singularly most famous grievance collector in the history of the world, the man who is famous for the term going postal. So if you want to join us next week on Psych Your Crime, we will find out where that term came from and exactly what the psychology behind a grievance collector is. I will see you then.